Hey guys, this is Kurt. And Logan. And we're here to talk about Battle Bards. I thought we were here to talk about how you're a terrible father. Pimping out your son. What? 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 Nothing. <laughs> okay. No, Battle Bards is great fantasy audio. I want to know that. Only things I care about are cartoons, balloons, Star Wars, candy, old people's whales, dogs, Pokemon, video games, fireflies. Do you even know what those are? Existentialist paintings. How do you even know how to say that? The sound of forts, <laughs> ninjas, and electronics. Okay, that's a lot to process. Farts? Really? Oh, but check this out. Lord Ardok is a wooden fortique symbol. Bida octo mon farste outwis mon kasabu haudon fu chi tang gali asparos. Ooh, scary! And this. Ooh, impressive. You can't deny this, though. Noal na o lapireta ikarino ilasa zorge, lapilasa do lape turbs benas. Okay, that's very cool. Okay, Logan. So how much would you pay for that awesome audio? Thirteen point two pesos. There's no such thing as point two pesos. Fifteen hundred yen. Five hundred pinks. Republic credits. That's not even real. That's Star Wars, Logan. Well, let me tell you. You go to battlebars.com. You sign up for an account. And not only do you get that premium auto, but you can get a little something from us also. With the 10 and $25 packages, you get one free track with MFGCast1 as your coupon code. Buy a $50 or $100 package and get five free tracks with the code MFGCast2. That's a half of an album for free just for using that coupon code. Could it be any easier? Buy the $150 and $300 packages. Not only do you get most of Battle Bards fantasy audio, soundscapes, music, sound effects, etc., but you also get 10 free tracks with coupon code MFGCast3. A full album for free for using a coupon code from us. You're welcome. I'll just buy that great audio right now. Wait, but you have to you have to ask your parents permission before you buy. This is the MFG cast. So uh, you might notice this isn't Kurt's voice, and that's because due to a bad string of luck during a recent poker game, I may have lost Kurt to uh, the mob. But don't worry, uh, we're working on a deal. I'm going to get him back, so he should be on next episode. But since Kurt's not here with me, I do have a co-host. Now, if you'll allow me to brag a little about this co-host, 
You see, many years ago, before I even knew Kurt, he went out with this woman in college. Nine months after they broke up, she had a baby girl. That baby girl grew up to love board games. She got into podcasting. And luckily enough, she has actually been an active member of the MFG cast roster. So if you could, let's give it up for the newest member of the co-hosting team, Kim Simmons! Oh, I'm so glad to be here. I can cry. Oh, I don't know how I can handle this. I left my friends. I I just needed to be here. You know, like, my other friend, he could do whatever he wants, but I just need to be here to do this podcast. Thank you for having yeah. me. So, if you get that reference, plus two points. And if you don't, I'm sorry for wasting a minute of your life. But don't worry, it'll be okay, because we're going to make it up to you in a huge way. <laughs> uh, recently, we went to Dexcon, and we found something amazing there. Uh, now, as a point of reference, I mentioned once or twice in the past, there's this game called New Bedford. It's a game about whaling, and had a bit of heat about it, because a lot of people said they don't want to play a game where they're going out whaling, and you know, like reliving this brutal part of American history. But the game really drove home what the whaling communities were like and how whaling destroyed the lives in the oceans and how they became more and more sparse. And it was harder and harder for these people to feed their families in addition to like the near eradication of these species of whales. You know, it's not often you see games like that, like a game that's incredibly thematic to the point where it could actually almost alienate an audience but at the same time, what it does is so different. We actually had that recently again, uh, thanks, thankfully, through to the folks at DPH Games. And the name of the game is Salem 1692. Now, right out of the gate, uh, we were intrigued because the cover... I'm sorry, I stand correction. It's Affliction Salem 1692. Now, the thing that really stood out to us is... The box is just this awesome stark image. It's just like a, a near black and white photo of a barren tree against a gray sky. And the tagline that the booth had was like, suffer not unto a witch. And we're like, this looks awesome. This is different. Let's check it out. And this game, it has some familiarity. It's going to have some mechanics that we'll discuss that, you know, are going to sound a little familiar to you. But the theme in this game is so heavy and the tribute it plays to historic accuracy is unbelievable. And what's really cool is we actually secured an interview not only with, uh, excuse me, Daniel at DPH Games, but uh, Kim also got an interview with the artist, I believe, yes. that did this game. And the art is amazing. And again, it's stark and it's grim and it's great. But I figure uh, we're going to talk a little quick about the, the background of the game and how it shows out. And, uh, and then I'll get you guys into the mechanics. Mm, that's right? good. So, uh, so Kim actually looked up a few of these people just to see how accurate the game portrayed them. So who are some of the characters that you'll see in this game? So uh, we have a Thomas and Anne Putnam. Uh, what I've researched and they actually um, in the set that I got uh, there's a historical background that also gives you 
a little paragraph of each of the each of the characters but I wanted to look up online to see you know how accurate they were in their findings and they were pretty accurate they added some of their own flair to it which I liked um, but for Thomas Putnam um, he was a family the put uh, part of the Putnam family who had a big say in the whole Salem trials um, there were a lot of people who mostly did it accusing, and he had he played a major role uh, with the law. And his daughter Anne Putnam, she she was one of the afflicted girls who uh, was heavy on accusing people. And what I like in the cards is in Putnam's action is you can place an accusation token. So because she was somebody who liked to accuse other people of being witches, her ability is she can place accusation tokens, and we'll go into how accusation tokens are used to arrest witches, uh, supposed witches. Um, Thomas Putnam, his special ability is he gets plus one accusation when accusing. So it kind of plays off of each other because... Anytime Anne, Anne would accuse somebody, he would always back her up on it. He would always make sure that the people believed what she said. So I like that they have it where you get an additional accusation. Like, yes, that's right. That person is a witch. So I kind of like that. And you looked up Mary Spencer Hill. And tell us a little bit about her. Yeah, so during these trials, right? And I'm going to actually read this little part from the rules here. It notes how hysteria ripped through the region as many were convinced there were witches living amongst them. There's others that took advantage of that knowledge and used it to settle like old scores, land disputes, to get revenge on families that they felt that wronged them. Now, this was basically going out of control. Like Public opinion was changing. People were accusing left and right. And then one of the afflicted girls accused the governor's wife. Basically, as soon as that happened, the governor just shut shit down, man. He, he shut down the legal proceedings. The the months and months of terror just, like, began to fade. And it all ended as soon as his wife was accused. This is shown in the game because once you turn over Mary Spencer Hill, the governor's wife, the game ends immediately. Which is an awesome, awesome mechanic. Now... I figure uh, before we go into a little any more about the people and like the disputes and all that, we'll let you know how the game runs. So I figure the easiest way for us to get through this thing is like first we'll say what everyone gets and then go from there. So basically you're going to get uh, two messenger meeples or three if you're only playing two players. And then you get this nice little town card, right? So you're either going to be part of Salem Town or Salem Village. And the layout's really easy. On the right is your circle. That's everyone that's like part of your gang. And what's kind of cool is anytime you recruit anyone over to your circle, they're a little harder to arrest, you know, because now they got buddies. And that'll give them like a plus five defense bonus. And then on the left is everyone that you arrested. And then on the bottom is a spot for your grievance card. Now, everyone gets one grievance card in the beginning. And it's almost like a, a Lords of Waterdeep role where it's going to note... Here's some people you want to arrest, or here's people you want to protect, and that's going to give you some bonus scoring at the end of the game. So uh, 
So a little grievance card might make me a little swayed as to why I like this, you know, since it's a little Lords of Waterdeep reminiscent. But the game board itself is also, again, it's pretty small, but everything fits in its height. So the town setup is you're going to, like, go to these action spots that are numbered, and there's 1 through 14. And the path is serpentine, and the way that they're resolved is actually, like, reminiscent of Kalis, where... If I put my first uh, villager, I'm sorry, messenger uh, meeple on the number four spot, I don't do it immediately. We're going to police all our guys and then they're going to resolve. So if I take number four and Kim takes number two, her guy will go off and then my guy, even if I placed first. So all the spots are pretty easy. And uh, I'm going to have Kim give me a hand on what some of these spots do. So I'll note like uh, the first couple here. So, like, in the beginning, it's really simple actions. Like, you're going to take one of these spots, and you're going to get an influence, which you use to either arrest or recruit people, and an accusation token, which you use to start planting the blame on people. And what I like about that is it actually notes, and we should actually say it too, they have different uh, titles for these spots. So, the spot that Dan just said, um, there's two spots of that, so... Um, in a two-player game, you can at least, each person can get one. But in a four-player game, it's going to be a little bit more rough. But it's called Meet in Secret. So everyone is meeting in secret so they can accuse and gain some influence so they can send off some witches to jail. Yeah, and then now with those accusation tokens, that's what you need to start arresting people. But you can exonerate people, which allows you to remove evidence. And then the next spot is Protect, and you get the first player token. Now, Protection is pretty cool because once you drop that Protection token on somebody, they can't be arrested. If you notice that somebody in your circle is getting bogged down by Accusation tokens, you might want to drop that Protect on them. Or you might want to save one of those guys in the streets because, you know, your opponent will score bonus points off arresting them. We move on to where you can actually get influence from your colonists. Like, that's, again, like almost the currency of the game. And this can kind of play a big part if you're playing a two-player game. Because notice you'll tend to see a lot of people going towards that because you need this influence in order to bring people into your circle. And you need the influence to be able to arrest colonists. And also the fact that you can use the abilities of all your colonists and gain influence, it could... It could, um, what's the kind of like perpetuate itself a bit? Could perpetuate itself, yeah. Because, um, in a couple of games that we played, I was basically always recruiting anyone that generated influence. So it's like I take the action this time and it's giving me four influence. A couple of rounds later, I do it and now I'm getting six. A couple of rounds later, I'm getting seven or eight, and it, it was kind of scary. Like, I started getting that engine that was almost unstoppable. But what's good is it doesn't uh, stop other players from gaining those bonuses too because number six and seven is you can gain influence straight out influence and number seven is you can do the actions so someone is going to get the better deal of it but at least it doesn't shut everything down yeah it's not like those spots in some worker placements where this is the only thing that does this 
Like the follow actions are a little bit weaker, but at least there is secondary chances. Now, this is my favorite next one, is the arrest. The arrest is when you're really putting into motion, you're putting the blame on people, saying that they're going to be witches and they need to be sent to jail. Number eight is just plain out arrest. But number nine, if you don't get to that first spot, you're going to have to pay an extra influence. So it doesn't cut you off. But sometimes you kind of want to be the first because if you're low on influence, you want to make sure you have it enough to arrest the person. Because if you land on it and you can't arrest them, then just kind of, you just lose your turn. And that just kind of makes you feel bad about, you know, where you've been placing. Yeah, plus it's always kind of good to get that first spot because you don't want somebody begging the guy that you've been pinning all this evidence on. You know, it's like there's nothing worse than you put down for uh, – you know, like four um, accusation tokens on somebody and then somebody arrests them before you get that chance. Uh, that's followed up by spectral evidence. And spectral evidence is pretty cool because it's kind of like the Trump accusation token where it's, it does, you know, it counts as an accusation so you can still arrest people. But if they're in a circle, they don't get that defense bonus anymore. It's kind of like everyone's like, hey, man, uh, you were kind of floating around a little bit. I don't, I don't know if we're still buddies anymore. I don't have your back like that, you know? And fun fact, I looked this up, is the spectral evidence. Uh, it was actually called a spectral evidence where people claimed that they saw apparitions of other people. Um, they, they were, like, flying out of windows. They were doing all this much stuff, but there were no other witnesses. Eventually, the mayor, may, uh, governor, Governor William Phipps, Pips. Um, at a certain point, he was like, nope, spectral evidence cannot be used. That's not going to be a legal thing in court. So if you go in and, and go in and saying, oh, your aunt flew out the window and then she jumped onto the roof and turned you into a cat, that's not going to, that's not going to take it. I think I actually remember like, uh, in one of the trials, when somebody was blamed to spectral evidence, the person was like, do you have any proof? And the guy's like, Oh man, I would have like totally recorded it, but cell phones aren't going to be invented for like another three hundred and six years. And well, but I would totally have it if it was then. Well, the the, the another interesting thing about that something like that happened, where a, a girl she brought in a knife that was broken and said that the witch broke it right with her magic, but there was another guy who was a witness said. Well, no, because I showed that girl the broken knife the day before, so that can't be used. But the craziest thing is, the judge was like, oh, come on now, child. Just keep telling your story, but just make sure you're being truthful. So even though he knew that she was lying, he still made her go, okay, so keep telling us why she's a witch. But make sure you keep <laughs> the details, you know, crystal clear. This reminds me of today's courts. But moving on, <laughs> um, after that, there's a spot where you can get some influence and place fear on people. And fear is really good because it can actually paralyze people in this game. The more fear you accumulate, your people will not generate resource. Soon they won't be able to do their abilities. And the fact that you also get to influence is pretty good because influence is always useful in this game. But that's one of the few spots that also has a flip side. Because you can also go there to remove fear. Now, number 12 is a great spot because it's like the big air move. Even though it's like very late in the round when it resolves, you get two influence and two accusation. 
So this is a spot that's not to really doing anything for you now, but it's a really nice big setup. And then the final two is bringing colonists into your circle. Now, like Kim mentioned with the arrest, there's two spots. One costs one influence more than the other. But the thing is, you know, you always kind of want to resolve first because you want to get your guys on your, into your circle. You know, if there's somebody that has a really good ability or that is bonus scoring for you, you want to get them first, you know? And basically, the, the game ends uh, when one of two cards come out. Now, I mentioned before, there's the governor's wife that when she's revealed, she ends the game immediately. There's a secondary person that does the same effect. And I believe his name is Mr. Mathers. Yeah. In, I think it's Instant Mathers, which is actually a weird name somebody gave their child. You know, like, oh, you matter to us. Oh, you're Mathers. You instantly matter. Mm-hmm. We increase your matters. Increase matters. That's it. We're increasing your matters. But, um, so the thing is, like I said, the, the game goes very quick. And what's nice is there's nothing you can do to get more workers. You know, you're restricted to your three or two based on your player count. So what's nice is your decisions feel incredibly meaningful. And it's actually for me really reminiscent of New Bedford where it's like you got two actions per turn, make them count. And the fact that you can only arrest one person each time, like it it's not worth going on both the arrest spots so you can arrest two people. But it's not like most of those games where you land on a spot and you can do multiples of that action. You only get to do the action once. And that's where like strategy comes in because if I put both my guys on the arrest spot, you are going to place your, like, you know, you still have somebody to place, you go to exonerate, you have an idea of who I want to arrest, you can remove those accusations. You could be like jipping me out of my moves by paying attention to where other people are placing. Now what's nice is in, in a three and four player game, it's a little more chaotic. In a two player game, it's very calculating. It's almost like chess. But in four-player, everyone has their own agenda. Now, I mentioned before, like, you know, there's the Salem Village and the Salem Towns. This is also, like, a factor into your scoring and your play style. Like, the people in the Salem Village, they don't like the townies. So they can't bring anyone the T symbol, like the town symbol, into their circle. And likewise, the townsfolk, they hate those villagers. So if you have a V on you, you're out. You're not like they will not take them into the circle, no matter how cool the card is or how bad I wanted it in two games. You just can't do that. And the other factor is the three major families. There's the Proctors, the Putnams and the Porters. And based on who you are, arresting or protecting those people will become more valuable. Now, after a few plays, this, this was like a Kickstarter game. This was something like a little new. And we did notice one thing. The Putnam family is important to every player board. Mm-hmm. Every single board will either get bonus points for arresting them or having them in their circle. But only two boards deal with the Proctors and only two boards deal with the Porters. So... We did kind of find a snafu in that. That was like the only thing that we were a little less enthused about. 
especially since, like, take for example, um, the porters, right? In a game uh, that Kim and I played, I was using the Salem Village. She was using Salem Town. Now, I was eager, you know, to like, I saw the porters and I was like, oh, cool, I can get those guys. But I couldn't because they had the opposing symbol. So I couldn't recruit them into my circle. Kim could. Or she could also arrest them. So she had a little more flexibility than I did of arrest or put into the circle Like I could only arrest those people. You know, that was something that was like a little bit off, but it wasn't a game breaking factor. I mean, like I did still win that game. So I was like a little proud of myself and gave myself a pat on the back. Um, oh, and one last thing, uh, when you arrest people, it's not just points for arresting them. How wealthy the people you arrest matters. There's like these house symbols that are bonus points when you arrest them. And it's pretty cool because since this thing was really about like feuds between families and like taking land from others, you'll notice like the landowners are worth three bonus points. Poverty people might not have any bonus points or only one because you're just taking like their little shack or something. So in the game with Kim, yeah, she was able to like recruit the porters, but I was just arresting them like crazy. So I was getting you know, a point for arresting them and then the bonus points for whatever their real estate was. So that wasn't too bad. I think the the game would be a little bit better if it had more um, prominent colonists. I feel like the deck is a little too short, but at the same time, the game is not supposed to take that long. Yeah. It's supposed to be kind of like, not a filler game, but it's a game that you can play for about, what would we say, like 30 minutes? Yeah, 30, 40 minutes? It's like, it's not too bad. It's like about 30 to 60 based on player count. Uh, one other thing, too, was, you know, even though we would have liked more people in the prominent family deck, it's really not too big of a deal because, you know, it's not like you want to see, like, oh, uh, like Larry Porter's nephew, who was quoted as having seen something happen once, and he's just like a random card. Like, at least the cards are still very meaningful. And that's something I can sacrifice in this game. I don't mind a slight uh, mechanic or two shortcoming for a very sound experience. Because the one thing that I noticed is, as you play this game more and more, everyone starts meaning more things to you. Like, you get familiar with the names. Like, and again, to compare it to Lords of Water uh, Waterdeep, uh, I was going to call it Lords of Water Quest. It's kind of like on those quest cards... When I when somebody says like oh man like threatens the threaten the builders guild I instantly know I like that quest, you know, so in this game I do like that when certain people come out, I'm getting like a little happier about like oh man like I'm gonna I'm gonna start accusing like crazy and uh, like this poor like you know this Putnam is gonna help me like you know get more accusation out going, or like there's some people that can remove fear when you activate them. So it's like, go ahead, throw fear on my guys. I got two guys that remove fear tokens. You know, you can even like more or less make deals where it's like, hey, you know, like you keep that arrest space free over there. I'll remove your fear tokens. Like you can make deals with other players when you're playing higher player count, you know, and uh, the book doesn't note anything about deals being binding, non-binding or even existing. But I figure if I'm from Salem Village and somebody else is from Salem Village, we got to show them townies, you know. 
Now, have you played any of the other Salem-type games or, or read about them? See, that's the thing. Um, I've always been a little interested in it, but this was actually like the first game that made me look up some stuff, which was pretty cool. You know, it's again, it's not too often you play a game that makes you start doing research and realizing like, wow, these people really did their homework. You know, like uh, we always hear the term pasted on theme. This is unquestionably massive theme and story that was given mechanics to recreate that theme and story. Because their characters, their characters' abilities are based on what they did in their real lives. Yeah, which is, to me, amazing. And the fact that the game doesn't have actual witches, because it's mo- it's a game that's about people just just being people. Yeah, and I mean, unfortunately, you know, uh, a lot of, like, wrong accusations and innocent people, you know, going down for these things. Um, but... To make it, like, let's try to get to, like, a slightly happier spot. Happier spot. (laughs) Like, uh, the one thing, too, was now, like, uh, when we saw the the picture for this, right? Like, it was at Dexcon, and we saw the booth. That stark image, just like that barren tree on the gray sky. We were like, all right, this looks cool. I want to know more. And then the cards, all the illustrations of the people are in black and white. You know, and it's like, I just love that this game carries that stark feeling. Like, it's very dire. It's, you know, very macabre. It's, I love that it just really pulls you into that. Because if it had, like, bright colors or, like, fanciful effects, you know, you'd be like, oh, man, like, this is an awesome game. Like, you know, you would make light of it. Like, oh, oh man, we're going to, like, burn these witches or whatever. This game doesn't have that. This is, like almost like a grittier game but it doesn't like leave you feeling it's not like this war of mine where you're like super sad afterwards you know yeah. so i mean this game is is definitely it's an awesome like it's a rewarding game it's not your whole night but it does have like awesome aspects to it you know and it's something very different very stand out and in a, in a sea of Games with 100 miniatures and 50 wooden bits and metal coins and everything else. This is something really cool and something really different to have on your shelf. You know, this is a game like, I think like this might become the game that we break out every Halloween too. You know, and it's like, like I actually kind of like want to bring this like on like one of those like uh, tours in Salem, you know, during the holidays. Just to, you know, to ask people about these things and to see the sights, you know. So, as you mentioned, when we got this from Dexcon, we were actually able to interview Daniel about the game. And uh, you, Dan, not that Dan, but you, Dan, weren't there. But I actually got to meet the artist, uh, Lisanne Lake, and she told me more about how she created the characters. Um, And... I would like to put the interviews on so all the audience can hear it. Yeah, we're going to actually, we're going to make this a shorter episode. That's why we didn't bog everyone down with our usual, here's what we played. Oh my God, did you see this? But this is a game that definitely deserves attention, definitely deserves a play. You should, 
unquestionably inquire about this because this will be something that's very different in your library. You know, you'll you'll play 40 games with zombies and Vikings and minis and all these other things. Don't get me wrong. All those games are awesome. But this will be the game that when people are looking through your games, they'll be like, like, Affliction? What is this? And, like, it when you have this on the table, people will look because it is so different compared to every other game. And I think it works with uh, all player counts because even with two players, we're a little bit worried because most two-player games, you don't have much interaction. Like, you kind of do your own thing. But with this game, um, the player boards are specific because when you do two-player games, you can you have to be red or yellow. You can't be any of the other ones because those are the ones they pit against. Yeah. So all the red characters that you want in your circle, the yellow characters will want them in their jail. Yeah, and that's when it's almost like the Putnam versus the Proctors, you know. And even, like, with that little aspect, by the way, um, we played it a couple of times at two-player count, and because of the limited amount of action spaces and the tightness of this game, the thing is this, it, the, the game is always progressing towards the end. It has a built-in clock of if nobody of the common row is arrested or recruited... The, one of the cards goes to the bottom of the deck and everything slides over, almost akin to like a deck builder. But there's a clock on this game. Like, you cannot slow play. You always want to be active. And the thing is, you actually do get these moments of like, oh my god, like, you know, I, I just arrested that person like for no reason. Like, I did it just because I want their stuff. You feel bad about it, right? Yeah, it's like, it's like, oh god, they didn't even do anything, but... Like, this game actually makes you, <laughs> makes you feel that guilt because... Um, there was a character that I read about where she accused her grandfather and then afterwards she felt so bad about it. And it'll say even on her character card, you'll get minus points if her grandfather's in jail. Yeah. And the fact that like that made her feel guilty and then when you start arresting people who just just for the, just for the heck of it so you can get points then you start feeling bad and that card was one of the ones that like caused us to like all right we got to look this up because it was such an odd game mechanic of wait a minute if this other character card is arrested you get minus three but if they're not you get plus. what's the big deal who cares and then you find out why and you're like oh my god like mm -hmm. the amount of interest and passion they put into this game is awesome you know now, I mean, we've been gushing about this game for like, you know, like uh, like 20 to 30 minutes or whatever. And it's very easy to keep going on and on. But I figure at this point, uh, we'll bump it on over. We're going to have our interview with Dan. And then we'll have a follow-up interview with the artist. So we hope you enjoy those. And then uh, don't forget to tune in. And we'll let you know how to get in touch with us, the company, and more. And please be gentle because it was my first time interviewing. We are at DexCon 20, and I am with Daniel, the creator of Affliction, from DPH Games. Now, Daniel, what can you tell me about DPH Games? So, yeah, we founded DPH Games in 2013, and the first game was a geocaching board game, which was Niche, and DexCon was actually one of the first conventions we came to with that. Um, so that was four years ago. And then we came out with Psychological Warfare, which is a psychology-themed card game, sarcastic and silly, and a bit of take that. 
And then after that was Cats, A Sad But Necessary Cycle of Violent Predatory Behavior, because I thought a short title would be good. And that one you play cats in the backyard trying to catch, eat, steal birds. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Can you steal one. other players' birds? Well, if if they don't eat them fast enough. So it's a secret selection simultaneous reveal game. And when you catch a bird, you have a choice of just eating it or you can play with it to double its enjoyment value. And there's a risk that it could get stolen then. So, oh, wow. Okay. That one. Then the one that just came out a couple days ago is Affliction Salem 1692. And that is worker placement, engine building, and engine disruption mechanic. But the flavor of it is uh, historical. You're, you have actual colonists from the area. And we're playing different factions vying for um, the, the, our interests. So we have grievances, certain families we don't like, and certain families we do like. And those interests all overlap between the players to create a little bit of conflict. So it's highly interactive, which those two styles typically are not that interactive. Yeah. So when I walked past your booth, I saw the sign, and I just think that the, the artwork is actually... It's simple, but it's still lovely at the same time. You you kind of want to know what's going on because it's just a tree. There's nothing but just the tree. So you're like, what is the affliction? And you see it's Salem, but the fact that you don't have anything with that tree. Yeah, so it's, it's sparse like, because yeah. it's a dark time. Yeah. There's no noose on the tree for two reasons. One is um, it adds like an implication that this is coming or hasn't happened yet and the second reason is we really don't get to uh, you're not really getting to the point where you're hanging anyone in the game it's it's pretty much if you arrest them you're taking them out of the game and what would you say would be the reason for people to play affliction well there's a couple of reasons uh you know one i think the highly interactive game mechanic is uh something you're not going to see with the with the worker placement and engine building and then there's also fear which allows you to disrupt other people's engines so if they have a really good one going you can still get in the way and the other is um it's it's interesting the, the colonist abilities are related as closely to the actual people as we could given the information we had available um so if you liked the crucible or if you have interest in in the salem uh you know witch trials you're going to learn a bunch of the names and um and then we actually have a historical pdf uh online on our website and you can download that and it has what each card what happened to those that person uh, a little brief one paragraph thing on what their fate was and kind of a little bit of what was going on so you know i think those are the, the two main reasons Oh, those are good reasons. And um, so playing the game, uh, I would kind of answer your question, but I just want to see what you think about it. So of all like the, the Salem games that they have out there, like the witch type games, um, would you say like the most unique thing about Affliction is that there are no witches at all? It's just a straight out people are just worried that there are possibility of a witch that's why they're arresting people i i think it makes it unique to the genre of salem games because i'm unaware of a, a salem game that is that doesn't have witches that you're looking for there was one by uh cheap ass games um called the witch trials but essentially it was like a modern day court. You were okay. playing a lawyer, kind of, and it was 
So it, it took the theme, but it felt more like a modern court. And that's not actually... Like Judge Judy almost, like you're playing... Yeah, I mean, you had a lawyer, you kind of testified. They didn't have lawyers. They were guilty until proven innocent. Yeah. Uh, people would be... The, the deflicted girls would be flying, flopping around on the floor during testimony, mimicking... Uh, defendants' actions, so mirroring what, exactly what they're doing, because they were out of control because the witches were controlling the, the girls' behaviors. Um, so a lot of that. I, but I don't know, I'd say that's unique to the genre, but to answer your question, my feeling is the more unique, if you can have more unique, uh, the unique aspect um, is that the interaction in a worker placement um, engine building game. And now, um, because I think everyone should be able to play Affliction and most of the other games, where can they go to buy them? Um, so currently the best place, because it just came out two days ago, so it'll take a, way to, uh, take a little while to filter through the system. So right now it's on our website at dphgames.com. Um, I believe it's probably up on Amazon from a couple of our retailers. Uh, and, and there's some retailers here in the Northeast that have it. Uh, next month, it'll be hitting, you know, distribution. So uh, once that happens, I don't know where it'll appear because uh, we kind of lose. It goes to a wholesaler who then may sell to distributors or directly to different retailers. So it could show up. And, of course, what we would like is that you ask your friendly neighborhood game store to order a few copies. And, um, again, they can do that try to do that through their distributor or they can obviously uh, contact us and do it through us. So, so go bug them. Yes, <laughs> we'll do that. Thank you so much for your time. No problem. So I'm here with Lisanne, who is the artist of Affliction, Salem 1692. Now, um, so... I know that these are all based off of historical figures, so right. you were able to recreate the photos of them? Well, not the photos of them, but their ages are well recorded because they kept detailed birth records. A few of the people actually have woodcuts of themselves from around the era. Most of the people are, their images are lost to history, so I had to improvise but their clothes are pretty well documented and fell within a range. Okay. So a rich person is dressed in rich clothes and a town person has more elaborate clothes, decorative clothes, and the villagers have more plain clothes. Okay. And even the, um, the main people on the board? The main people on the board, the revered, have, uh, actually have paintings that I could base on. They have multiple paintings of themselves. So we have a good idea of what they look like. Okay, because I do notice, like, there is a difference of them, mm -hmm. but it's good because they look more, like, refined. Like, they think, like, you know, mm -hmm. they're basically on top of everything, mm -hmm. while everyone else is kind of like the, the lowly... Everyone else is the lowly villagers and townspeople. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. I've been told I haven't been out to Salem yet. We're going to be out at the Witch Trial Museum in the, in the fall because they've invited us out. But the, the signs, someone messaged me that the signs they have out there, uh, your illustrations look very similar to the way they have done them. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know, that. know that. I don't think you knew that. And so they, they have like signs of, you know, so-and-so's house and there's an illustration um, on the sign out front. And it's this black and white 
uh, line drawing style. Yeah, I kept it in the style of the times. I wanted to do the illustrations as they were illustrating at that time and shortly thereafter. And I, and I have to say, because I've seen a couple of games that have that like colonial look, mm-hmm. and they they all they all have their different like types of interpretations of it. But this, I have to admit, this one comes like to as close to as like what we would see colonial people wearing. Well, thank you. Yeah, so, sort like, of having a time machine. And- yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's it's really I really love the artwork on this. And uh, if I may ask, who who would you say your your favorite type of person to draw would, would have been? What do you mean, type person? Um, type. I mean, character. Who who was your favorite character to draw? I like the afflicted girls. Yeah. I, generally, they were a lot of fun to draw. <laughs> so. And did you take so the fact that they were afflicted? Did that um, interpret the way you also drew them? I was trying to think of something different. The afflicted girls will all be carrying something in their hand, okay. for the most part. Each of the people. It was very very difficult to put people in different positions with so many people. I didn't want people in identical positions. Yeah. And their clothes are very similar. And really with the villagers, you can't... Uh, she's afflicted. There, she's Yeah, because they, they all do look mm-hmm. unique. Mm-hmm. And that's really good. She's holding her head. Because yeah. really... <laughs> a lot of the times when you get like the uh, in-game pieces... You'll all have something that's just all the same. But these have, like, all unique looks to them, which makes it really good. Hey, the diff- what I did not want to do was the Crucible, mm-hmm. which apparently is about a love affair between a girl who's 11 to 13, I forget, and a man who's in his 40s or 50s. Oh, wow. Uh, yes. That's uh, not true. It didn't She was prepubescent. Yeah. yeah she did not. Um, there is, there's absolutely no way she had an affair with anyone <laughs> No, oh, yeah, but I, I have to admit, your the artwork is lovely. The game, no, no, <laughs> yeah, that right, is so cool. I never noticed all the afflicted girls have something in their hands. Yeah, yes. all the afflicted girls are carrying something. She's carrying something. She's telling the truth. Probably a yeah. book. Yeah, that's their book. Now that now that we're gonna, because we're gonna play with a few friends, we're gonna try and like look closely just to see what everyone's holding. But yeah, I, mean, I expected the game to be complex. I am not great at picking I, up games, and this game is so simple to pick up. I was like, yes. pleasantly surprised. Because I even like um, from looking at the artwork on the on the cover of it, it does look like it would be complicated mm-hmm. because it's such a simple. It's a simple cover. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot going on, so. It kind of tells you what the game is going to be about, but then again, it doesn't. Yes, there are no witches. Yeah, really. <laughs> that, that, that I have to say is Except my favorite. Except your neighbors, part. they're all yeah. witches. <laughs> yes. All right. Thank you so much. It was nice right, talking you. to you. Okay. Nice talking to you too. Thank you. Okay, so we hope you guys enjoyed all that, and we definitely hope you go out and enjoy Affliction and some of the other wonderful games by DPH Games. Uh, don't forget to hit them up on Facebook. Follow them on Twitter, check out the company's site, definitely order this game. And uh, if you want to let Kurt know that you miss him and that you want him back, you can always tweet at MFGCast. Don't forget to put hashtag we miss Kurt. That'll make him feel very special. And also hashtag the mob doesn't need my $3,000 to get Kurt back. (laughs) That'll also be acceptable. I can help him out a lot. If you want to get in touch with us or tell Kim that she did awesome at her interview, you can always tweet us direct at GNU Podcast. 
if you think Kim didn't do good at the interview, tweet us at landfill for your garbage. <laughs> All right. So with that, we hope you guys enjoy gaming and heading out. This is Dan. And this is Kim. Have a good one, everyone. Legends of Tabletop Podcast. Creating legends one die at a time.